Welcome to our Road to Desert Rain series. Uh, today I sit down with Deanna Steele and we visit some of her uh, time in early life spent overseas until she eventually ends up in El Paso, Texas and some of the things uh, that she went through and eventually meeting Greg Steele, David and Marsha Morrison and becoming a co-founder of Desert Rain Community after spending some time in Dallas, Texas. So before we get into that, thank you to Diego at Recording Moving Studios. He does all the uh, editing and sound engineering for this. Thank you to David and Danny West. That's the music you hear in the intro and outro. Uh, if you're interested in learning more about Desert Rain Community in general, check out theruin.com. If you're interested in finding uh, other episodes, drcrpod.com is the place to go. And lastly, before we get into it, please tell a friend, uh, either word of mouth or social media, that really helps us out. So uh, we appreciate you, and let's get into it. Welcome to another episode of The Road to Desert Rain. Today, I am here with uh, Deanna Steele. How are you doing today? I'm doing fine. Thank you, Torian. Yeah, it's, it's good, good to, to be here. <laughs> good to see you. It's been been a little while since yeah. we've sat in the yeah. in the same physical building. Yeah, with all COVID and everything. <laughs> yeah, all the COVID stuff. Luckily, it's it's opening back up. Uh, one of the first questions I like to, to lead off with... Um, in the the interviews we've done so far is um what what did your early life in and around spirituality religion you know did did you have that kind of stuff growing up or was it not not well, particularly there i was i was raised in the catholic church i was okay. baptized in the catholic church and confirmation first communion as was i all that fun <laughs> all that fun stuff uh but my family was probably more the Christmas Easter mm, family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, uh, we did a lot of traveling. So we traveled a lot overseas. My father was in the Navy. So oh, okay. we did a lot of traveling. So being on bases and stuff like that, I don't think we attended a regular Sunday service, but yeah. we probably would do something on Easter or Christmas. I, I kind of vaguely remember that. Yeah. Where, so uh, where did, if, if someone asked you, where did you grow up? Is there a place well, that you feel connected to? I would say that probably most of my life, it's been El Paso, okay. El Paso, Texas. But uh, my first 12 years of life was overseas. Where at? Uh, so we lived in Hawaii and okay. Japan and the Philippines. I don't know if I ever knew that. Yeah. Really cool. Do, what What do you remember? I mean, it sounds like it was sort of your early years. but Yeah, it was my early years. So Japan. Hawaii, I don't remember as much as mm -hmm. I was like preschool. Mm -hmm. uh, Japan, I remember a little bit more. I was like kindergarten, first, second, third grade. What do you remember about Japan? Oh, gosh. Like just in, something. I re I remember my my friend, which I'm still good friends with. Really? Uh, yeah. So my friend Hiromi, she's, uh, she, uh, she's in Japan. Her mother recently passed. Um, oh, I'm sorry to but, hear that. Um, but I remember her, and I remember our house, and mm -hmm. I remember, you know, activities that we would do, places we would go. How big was um, the house? Um, it was a it was a little two bedroom house. Okay. I think it was a two little two bedroom house. My my sisters, uh, you know, it might have been a three bedroom. Now that I think about it, because I think I had always had my own room. Interesting. My sister shared a room. I had my own room, and my mom and dad had a room, and it was on the base. Okay, um, that so, makes sense. 
It was on, yeah, it was on the base. I mean, when we first moved there, we actually lived off base. So okay. we had one of those paper houses. <laughs> really? But yeah, my mom was terrified. She goes, guys, don't oh, touch wow. the walls. Don't touch the walls. <laughs> what was that like? So, it was fun. Yeah, yeah. I had the Takami mat, you know, the bamboo mm-hmm. mats and stuff like that, but the and the sliding doors, but then, but they, yeah, there were paper walls. So <laughs> how long did you live there? Just for a short time. I think okay. a couple months until housing opened up and yeah. then we, we moved into our, our house on the okay. base. And, um, and where was the other place you said you had lived? Uh, lived in the Philippines. That one I probably remember the most because that's, I turned eight there mm-hmm. and I lived there till I was about 12. And what was that like? So I really enjoyed it. I loved yeah. it. Yeah. We lived on San Miguel for a short time, maybe, maybe nine months or so. And then we moved to Subic Bay mm. and we lived on, uh, uh, the street was mahogany. We lived on mahogany street. I remember it was a really steep street. I would end up walking or taking the bus to city bus to take, go to school and oh, really? the city bus to take home. And, um, Do, and would you go to, um, school on base? Yeah, or it was, was it? a base school. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, it was, um, it was a Benedictine elementary. I remember it. We were the, our mos- mascot was Snoopy. <laughs> Snoopy was our mascot. Um, but Some yeah, no, taste I, of the U S yeah. over there. Yeah. I actually have a Facebook, there's a Facebook page of people who went to Benedictine. And so people Very throw nice. things on there and they know the school's still there. They, they turned the whole base because, you know, the military is not there anymore. So they oh, turned, I didn't know that. Yeah, they turned the whole base into like, it's like a resort. Like a Filipino type resort. Yeah. So, and I, because I think it got uh, devastated with that volcano that erupted in okay. in the 90s. By then I was gone. We came right. back, we came back to the States in 81, 81, 82. Mm-hmm. I think I was entering the eighth grade. No, seventh grade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so was it living in the, or the, the military school in the Philippines, was it all, um, military kids that went All there? military kids. Okay. Yep. We were all military so it was a pretty, brats. Yeah. It's probably a pretty diverse group yeah. of, oh, of yeah. kids from all over the yeah, U.S. Yeah, from all over, from everywhere. Yeah. yeah. And still friends with some of the mm-hmm. people that have made friends there. I have my really good childhood friend. I finally connected with her again. Nice. So, and so we keep in touch through Facebook. That's I was going to say the beauty, the beauty of Facebook. Facebook. It's, you know, it's the only reason I like it is I was able to get in touch with people I hadn't talked to in like yeah. 20 years. And all of a sudden I just said, I wonder if she, if I could find her. And sure enough, found each other on Very Facebook. Nice. And I was like, it was pretty cool. And, and I, you and, you and uh, Greg have been to Japan, right? Yeah, we did actually went. Did you go went, visit your Yeah, friend? we did. We actually stayed with the family. Oh, uh, wow. We stayed with Hiromi's mom before, this was before her passing. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, and we had to see Hiromi and her brother, Hiroki, and, and all that. And they took us around. They, we went to our old base, the old base. <laughs> it's all closed down and vacated because I guess they don't have families that live there anymore. Okay. Um, I guess they, they're not doing that. But uh, the fencing was there because our house was right by the gate. Mm-hmm. So we got to go right up to the gate and look in. And I saw my house was kind of house. overgrown and everything. But the cherry tree was still there and the grass was just kind of overgrown. The hedges were still there. And I was like... I remember that house. Oh my gosh. So that's and, amazing. And my friend, yeah, we took pictures uh, in front of it and yeah, and we got to go see, yeah, yeah. definitely see friends and stuff and then go visit. When, when was that that you guys went back? Hmm, that would have been maybe five years ago. So it'd been like 2016, okay. yeah. I think it was. Yeah, because I can remember, I don't remember if it was you and, uh, you and me or, or Greg and I having a conversation one time about your guys's. Yeah, yeah, we, we took our, our, that's where our daughter wanted to go for her, after her college graduation. Okay. We, we give all the kids an option to yeah. go anywhere they want. We'll take them. But the 
key is we have to go with them. So. Right. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Gives you a reason to go, Absolutely, go to these yeah, beautiful to places and, and reconnect. Yeah, Greg wants to go back. He loved it. Yeah. He really loved it. It's yeah, it's one people. place I haven't been yet, but it's, it's beautiful. That's what I've heard. Beautiful people, beautiful culture. Yeah. Very, very friendly. So what was it like coming back? You said, I think you said you were going into your seventh grade year. Yeah. Was it a culture shock coming back stateside? Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, overseas, everybody's like 10 or 20. Music is like 10 or 20 years behind. Oh, okay. So we were listening to old music. So when I come back and it's the 80s, I was still listening to like 60, 70 music. Thinking that was kit. And then, of course, the way I dressed, I, oh. I was wearing these little wraparound dresses with um, embroidery, little decorations uh -huh. on it. And, you know, there were no malls. <laughs> so, I mean, everyone did make fun of me. I got kind of teased a lot about the way I dressed and, mm -hmm. and the music I listened to. So it was, it was definitely a culture shock. And, and it just seems like uh, being a military kid, you're only in places three or four mm -hmm. years at a time where some of these kids, I come in and they've known each other since like kindergarten. They've yeah. been going to school their whole lives. So they already had their little cliques and their mm -hmm. little groups. And so it was really hard to find my place where I would fit in. So it was very difficult. That's interesting because to a lesser extent, but uh, my dad built houses for a living. And so um, between kindergarten and high school, we would move every two or three years. It was within Las mm -hmm. Cruces. So it was oh, in, the okay. town, so in the same town. But I kept changing schools. Mm. And it was very... It was same thing. People yeah. would have their little clicks and it felt like once I kind of found my way uh -huh. into a group, we would uproot and, and move to the next school. Yeah. So that, yeah. that new kid feeling, I yeah. knew that uh, well. Yeah. So it's, it, yeah, it can be, it can be pretty hard. Mm -hmm. And of course, then I did it to my own children because, you know, I homeschooled my oldest two. So oh, by the time they went back to high school, you know, all the clicks were already made. So they yeah. said they really had a hard time finding their place as well. So did you you homeschooled them up until high school? Um, yeah, uh, they they were at public school the first th um, two to three mm -hmm. years of school, and mm -hmm. then I pulled them out and homeschooled them until about high school. Okay, about like ninth grade. And that so. was Michaela, and Michaela Jonathan. and Jonathan. Yeah. yeah, and Josh and Dan they actually went to a private school until about sixth grade, mm -hmm. and then I put them in the, to the public school, and then. Pulled Daniel out because he was being he was being bullied. Mm -hmm. He had a hard time finding his place, so I pulled him out for two years and homeschooled him, and then put him into the uh, early college high school, right. which he really loves. That I was gonna say, it seems like he's been he thriving there. It. Oh, he loves it. Since yeah. he's been there, yeah, yeah, he has his friends and stuff. Very cool. Well, um, just to kind of go back, uh, so you moved back stateside. You grew up sort of around the Catholic Church, did all the yeah, kind the of, sacraments. Yeah, the I, I actually had my first communion and my confirmation of the church David went to. We actually went to the same, we went to the same church, Holy Trinity. Wow, yeah. We he's actually talked a grew lot up and he said it was an altar boy at the time. So I probably have seen well, of course I probably only saw him Easter and Christmas. Right. But still he was <laughs> still, yeah, yeah, you guys would have crossed paths but, at that uh, point. we had we had the same priest and and I, that's where I got my confirmation and my first communion was at Holy Trinity mm. but then again it began like more of a you know Easter Christmas kind of mm. a, a thing and and then having a hard time fitting in um, uh, my dad was still active military so he wasn't retired yet so he wasn't around much because um, he was in the Navy he was in the Navy yeah, so he, he was actually Navy stationed bases. in Norfolk Virginia okay. while we were here. 
So he'd be gone for, you know, six months at mm -hmm. a time, come back for a short leave and then have to go back. And then um, so uh, on the Eisenhower, and he did that for about three or four years. So it was just my mom and my, my sisters and I. And your um, mom decided to live here because well, there was they, family Well, my mom here, and dad or? actually decided because they couldn't afford housing in Norfolk. There was no base housing. Okay. And uh, my father grew up here. His father was retired Army. He was in World War II, and they retired here. My okay. dad actually went to high school here. And so my mom, and my mom's from Jersey, which she's like, I'm not going back to Jersey. What part of Jersey? <laughs> uh, Lodi. Interesting. Lodi, Jersey. Yeah. And she says, I'm not going back there. She left there to get away. For a reason. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's how my mom and dad met. They met in Albuquerque. Um, and so they, my dad said he was going to put another three, four years and retire. So they said, where do we want to build our house and just mm. retire? And so they decided El Paso. Yeah. So so we that's why we were here. And mm -hmm. so he did his four years and then he retired, um, hated it. <laughs> Hated the Navy? Hated, no, hated retirement. retirement. <laughs> <laughs> he begged to go back, and they took him back, and um, and they, they stationed him in Albuquerque. Okay. So he would go and come home on weekends. What would he do up there? Was that um, he, he was, uh, well, he, his, his specialty was nuclear weapons. Oh, okay. So he was teaching. Okay. Uh, so I think, oh, well, I think in Albuquerque, he was actually inspecting, because mm. he'd always come, he has a closet of hats. From every oh, yeah, aircraft carrier, every submarine. Yeah, yeah. So he actually would go and inspect the, the nuclear submarines, yeah. the nuclear aircraft carriers. And so he would be in part of the inspections and I guess maybe just some teaching. Mm -hmm. uh, some stuff he says, I can't talk about. So yeah, of course. <laughs> hush, of course. hush. I'm like, okay, dad, you're going to be so private. Okay. You got military secrets. So, um, so he did that for another three or four years. Mm. And then he finally... Um, through retired. <laughs> that he probably, that so, said. so when did um, like Christianity or, or God or um, like when did that become important part yeah, of your life? It probably so because of my dad being gone so much and um, <clears throat> I um, I kind of had a, a trying to fit in mm -hmm. and so I was not much of a leader type person I was right. more of a follower okay so I kind of got pulled and dragged into certain groups at school that were probably not really mm. really good yeah so I started kind of hanging around with the wrong people so to speak yeah I had that um, similar trying, experience in high school trying to fit in and uh and then of course having a conflict with my mother. Maybe my mother and I are too much in personality, I guess. And so we had this constant conflict. So mm -hmm. I had this real bad rebellious rebelliousness that um, that I, against my family and stuff. Um, what age do you, did that so start? So that probably, I mean, we always kind of butted heads probably when we came back from the Philippines. Mm. Um, so about seventh grade, right. but it probably escalated probably around my sophomore year in high okay. school. Um, and it, it all centered around a particular guy that I got hooked up with. It probably was very bad. Um, it's just, and then my low self-esteem, didn't really think much of myself, mm -hmm. you know, um, uh, I, you know, I was kind of like always the bad, the black sheep of the family, oh, so to speak. My sisters yeah. were kind of like the little angels. The goody two Couldn't shoes. do anything wrong, <laughs> and I just never could do anything right. So I just had kind of a, a struggle with that self-esteem. So I tried to seek that approval 
other places in other areas and where do you fall on the are you the oldest i'm the oldest okay yeah Yeah. only by 11 months but i am the oldest so uh so i kind of struggled there so around this particular guy and uh my mom and i just really had it out and um had to break off the relationship um and it was around that time that my mother, she threw up her hand and said, I don't know what to do with you anymore. Mm. I, uh, I can't do anything with you. I've, you know, you're just out of control. So she actually went, I was probably 15 mm-hmm. at the time. Um, and I remember it was right before uh, Good Friday, she decided, you know, I, I'm going to send you to live with my brother okay. in Oklahoma. So she went to court and gave my custody to oh, my wow. aunt and uncle of custody of me till I was 18. Mm-hmm. Um, and she just kind of washed her hands of me, took me to the airport, put me on a plane and uh, sent me to live with them. And what part of Oklahoma and are they it, in? They were in Enid at the time. Yeah, no, is, that, is that a tiny... It's a small little town. There's an Air Force base there. <laughs> okay. Because my un- uncle was retired was, Air Force. Yeah, I, I've heard that Enid, Oklahoma, yeah. and it must be some kind of Yeah. I mean, Air he Force lives in connection. Oklahoma City now. Right. Um, he moved eventually to Oklahoma City, but at the time it was Enid, Oklahoma. Little town, not much going on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> can only imagine. Little tiny high school. And um, yeah, so, and my aunt was very um, Pentecostal. Okay. So she was very religious. My mm-hmm. uncle, no. I mean, my uncle never did church or anything like that. But uh, my aunt was very Pentecostal, um, very religious. Um, My uncle, my mother comes from an Italian family. Mm. So let's just say that. So an Italian, very... From the Northeast. (laughs) Very strict. And so things had to be done his way or it's the highway. And so he would really... He, it was just very strict, very strict household. Mm-hmm. So I... Were there other kids in the household? There was uh, his, their daughter okay. uh, was the only one there. The other the other children were gone already off at college. There was, so there's only one other daughter mm-hmm. there. And she was older than me. She was in her 20s and I was okay. 15. So, uh, but it was just very difficult. Um, he scared me because <laughs> he was very strict. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, military and, guy. Uh, yeah, and just that Italian mm-hmm. thing, you know, Women should be barefoot and pregnant and serve the man oh, wow. kind okay. of with an attitude. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and his wife loved him, ha- loved, I mean, gosh, she, they were married over 50 years. And, but yeah, she served him hand and foot, mm-hmm. you know, and just, you know, she was a wonderful woman. Just sort of that old um, school. Yeah, but mentality. he was just very old school mentality. So I would actually go with her uh, to escape. Because I didn't want to stay oh. home alone with my uncle. Because you were so, so intimidated. So every Saturday, I would go with her to help clean the church. Okay. So she would clean the church, and then I would go to church with her on Sundays. Um, and it was probably at that time. I mean, I was, I just, I wasn't allowed to talk to my family. I was, you know, cut off from everybody, mm-hmm. anybody. Um, things were pretty strict. They, you know, had a pretty tight leash on me, so to speak. Um, which I was very rebellious. I could see that now. Mm, right. um, but at the time, I just, I, I hated my life. I hated everything. So, uh, but it was one of those days I was cleaning and I, you know, and of course I grew up knowing God exists. Right. Um, I, I, you know, I had gone to a couple of camps in the Philippines, these missionary camps, mm. which were awesome, where I really just felt, I felt really close to God. But then, you know, mm. you come back and you get into the things. And when you come back to the state side, and then you just don't fit in. You're just out of place. 
So, so my first experience, I would say, was the Philippines when I went to the summer camp with these missionaries, and I had my first experience, I believe, with God. They showed us those movies, The Last Days. I don't know if you remember those movies. They came out in the seventies. I feel like I've heard of them, but I don't. Yeah, think I've it was just really them. crazy. Yeah. Last Days, where the they talk about the rapture mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. people are going to, you know, half are going to be left behind, and so I mean, I so I would say at that time I did give my life to Christ. Well, so what was that experience? But, Do you remember the actual moment or experience where you? Just it was probably the whole camp, yeah. Okay. I think it was, it was probably the whole, the whole camp, and they would have little counseling sessions, yeah. and that probably I remember that the most. You know, just sitting with the counselors and just talking and just feeling like accepted. Mm. You know, just feeling like I I fit in and stuff. Comfortable in your own and comfortable skin. in my own skin, yeah. exactly. But then you know, you come to the stateside, and then all you know, all that gets thrown out, and yeah, just you gets, get distracted. You get distracted, and you know, um, and God gets forgotten. So and so then going back, so I knew God existed. So I, I'm the main the main moment that brought me back was probably I was just at my wits end. I just you know um, I don't see my family. I'm mm. I'm trapped here in Enid, Oklahoma. I don't know how. You're God, scared how of your long. uncle. <laughs> I'm scared of my uncle. I don't want to be in the same house with him. He terrifies me. And I just, uh, my aunt was downstairs in the basement cleaning the children's room, and I was upstairs uh, dusting the pews. And I remember kneeling down and just crying Mm. and just saying, God, I just don't know what to do. I I just, I can't do this anymore. I'm just, I give up. And um, and all of a sudden, you know, uh, I saw this light, this big bright light just appeared. And I felt a hand on my shoulder. And then I heard the words, um, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And then that was it. And I don't know, all of a sudden, just something changed in me. And so instantly I went home and I had one of those little, tiny, little, tiny, tiny Bibles, you know, the New Testament Bibles that you see. And I started reading it. I didn't find out till years later that that was actual scripture, that I will never leave you nor forsake you. It's from Jeremiah, I believe, where um, God tells the Israelites that they will never leave them nor forsake them. Um, And so I was like, wow, I, I never really knew that. So... And so then I started doing all that stuff, going to church with my aunt, and um, I just felt like a total change came come over me. And um, and at that time, my mother was back here thinking, you know, I was into Satanism and all this weird stuff. So she started trying to find a church to cast the demons out of me, so to speak. So that's how she wow. actually found Jesus Chapel, and she met David. She met David Morrison and Steve Alvarez before, before I you. ever did. Yeah. Yeah. So she, they were going to Jesus Chapel at the time, okay. and they were having prayer services for me, you know, praying for me <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and everything. And so, um, and I lived with them for probably nine months, and then finally, um, I guess, maybe they guess they saw the change, and then they said, hey, do you want to come home? Wow. So then I was able to come home. So, so um, one, one thing I do want to talk, I'm, I'm very curious about it. I've never been to a Pentecostal church, but I've heard about Pentecostal yeah. church. So what, because it's, you can't get much different than a Catholic service. Oh my gosh, it's service. totally. So what, what was that like for you the first couple of times? It was weird. Uh, yeah. I was like looking around going, all right, I've walked into the crazy shack, didn't I? <laughs> you know, because they're all, you know, praise you, hallelujah. You know, Catholic churches, I'm used to standing Very and kneeling, quiet, standing and yeah. kneeling, you know, and also with you and, you know, real, yep. real uh, subdued. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. everyone is just jumping and yelling and screaming and singing I praises. Even imagine. And, I mean, uh, take Especially it they did. Especially as a 15 year old. And take it they did sing hymnals. They 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 weren't into they didn't get into all that 
Like it new was, yeah, it's, it, music. I think it was more like towards the end of the 80s when they started bringing guitars and okay, drums right, and right, all right. that stuff. So, still at Lots that time, the early 80s, it, they were still doing piano mm -hmm. or organ. It wasn't even a piano, yeah. I think it was an organ okay. with hymnal music. Um, but, but yeah, but they were definitely boisterous. Much and more overstated than the Catholic <laughs> Catholic church you grew yeah. up in. And I just thought, yeah, okay, these are, uh, and, you know, but again, I only went to church just to escape my uncle's. Of so I'd rather be there than at my uncle's. So, but yeah, it, it was kind of shocking. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so fast, so that you, you um, your aunt and uncle ask you if you want to go back home. Yeah. So you I come back to El Paso. I come back to El Paso. I go back to the same high school. Pretty much didn't hang out with those friends anymore, mm -hmm. hung out with my sisters, believe it or not. So, because um, I was a senior, I think, well, no, I came back, it was the end of my junior year, mm. about to go to my senior year. Right. And my sisters were freshmen, sophomore. Okay. So, um, and... In school, so I pretty much hung out with them. Just would go to school, and then and by that time I would already turn sixteen, mm -hmm. so I got a job. So I would just pretty much go to school, and then I started going to Jesus Chapel. Okay, and that and hanging out with David and going that, to the youth group. Was that pretty um, much as soon as you like you went from there and jumped into the the church scene? Absolutely, here? yeah. And then yeah, came back here mm -hmm. and went straight to. Um, we were actually meeting at the North Park Mall. Okay. It's before the building was ever built, and. Um, and it's that funny. I had, uh, we were talking about this recently. I was talking to Jacob because er Ernie Nettia passed away. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember the first Sunday I went, it was his first Sunday to lead worship on his own. So It was Ernie's first, first Sunday. First Sunday to lead worship. Because I remember he was up there saying, okay, guys, you know, because I guess at the time David Rios was leading worship. Okay. But I didn't know that. You know, it was my first yeah, Sunday. Yeah, you were new. And I go there and David um, and Ernie got up there and said, okay, guys, it's just... Just me now. I'm all. I'm going to lead worship. This is my first time. Just you know, be patient with me. You know, kind of talking and that's he led worship and and um, so that's the first time I met Ernie and Linda. Uh -huh. And it was actually shortly after that that uh, they had asked me. I think it was after we moved into the new building because we were only in that North Park Mall for a short time while they because they were just building, mm. breaking ground and building over on Trans Mountain. Right, and, and that's um, where there's the building still there. Yes, now, uh huh. Right? And that's Hope City Hope now. City, yeah, right. it's Hope City now. But at the time, it was Jesus Chapel. And um, and it was shortly after that that Ernie and Linda asked if I would babysit their boys. And so I used to... <laughs> and Jacob being one of those. <laughs> I made babysit. Yeah, Jacob. I have funny stories about that. But all right, but yeah, Jacob and uh, yeah, and his brother Chris and Joe and, and Pete. So I used to babysit the boys so they could go out or they were doing maybe a, yeah. a, a home group or something. I'm not sure what it was. That's but at so that time, I was uh, finishing up high school and just starting okay. college. Did, and did you and go... So did you go here to UTEP? I actually went to community college, okay. the El Paso Community College. Yep. So I, I worked at Peter Piper Pizza. Oh, love yep. that! And Good old went, fashioned. And then and then I transferred over to Sears, and I was working at Sears while going to the community college for two years to get my uh -huh. associates. And then from then I transferred out to Sol Ross down in Alpine, Alpine Texas. Texas, yeah. okay. And okay. got my bachelor's there on uh, in a teaching degree, believe it or not. And and how long so when you were and actually for anyone that doesn't know the Nedia clan. clan uh yeah. we will we're we'll actually next week uh Jacob will be uh, on the road to desert rain. Yeah. So <laughs> so you'll get get to learn a little bit more about him. About and, Jacob, yeah. And um Ernie, I'm sure he'll he'll discuss some of that. But yeah. Um so in Alpine, did you sort of continue this God church? Oh, yeah, yeah. Church? I uh, found a church up in, I would drive to Fort Davis. Okay. Uh, there was a little church called Church on the Hill. and um, How far? It was about drive? a 
35, 45 minute drive there. Yeah, it wasn't too bad. Too bad. Um, so I would, I found a church there. And so I would go to church there on Sundays. And, um, and where exactly and is Alpine? It's about, it's south of Van Horn. So, okay, okay. so Van Horn's like east of, east of El Paso. Yeah. So Van Horn's maybe an hour and a half east of El Paso. And then Alpine's probably like an hour and a half two hours south of Van Horn, right past Marfa. Okay, People I know heard of the is. Marfa Lights. Yep. And, yep. I've, I've, and then Fort I'm Davis is kind this. of, it kind of makes a triangle. It's like Fort Davis to Marfa and then Marfa to Alpine. It kind of makes this little triangle. That's that's the route you kind of go if you leave Van Horn to go to Big Bend Big Bend, exactly. We're at the you gateway. Go okay, yeah, okay, you have okay. to go to Van, you have to go through Alpine. Yeah, I knew yeah. I'd been it's there. kind of like the gate. We used to go there for weekends, go to the hot springs nice. down at Big Bend because yeah. it wasn't that, it was going to be an hour's drive. Okay. And um, you spent two Two, two years, years there, yeah, yeah. So I lived two years there, um, and um, and yeah, still c- continuing, um, still friends with David, who I would come back on once a month. You know, end up going to church here, catching okay. up with all my friends. Yeah. So, um, you know, David and um, at the time, you know, Marsha and I were pretty much best friends, and, um, and, was, and hung out. Was your plan? And maybe, maybe not, but was your plan always to come back to El Paso after you, you know, graduated? You know, actually or? not. Okay. Um, part of me, I, I didn't really want to come back to El Paso and not because, and not the people or anything like right. that. I, I just, I really wanted to break away. I mean, mm. I love my family, but I wanted to break away and See just have else. my own. So I, and I've always loved the ocean. I mean, I guess yeah. maybe growing up on the ocean. I think. Yeah. I kind of wanted to be near the ocean. So my ideal was to probably go down like to Corpus Christi mm. and that area and teach down there. Right. Um, it just happened that my last semester when I was student teaching, um, EPISD, El Paso Independent School mm. District, came to our university and had oh, a, wow. you know, uh, they, they came from all over the place. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I interviewed with all these different school districts mm. and they were the first ones to offer me a position. So I was just like, well, you know, it's, it's why familiar. not? You know, it's it's familiar. I actually, I, I got a job and, and the price was not bad because my degree was in special education. So they paid a little oh, bit more. Yep, yep. So I was like, okay, well, why not? Right. I guess I'll just go back home. Okay. Go back to El Paso. And uh, and then at least, you know, I know my friends and, mm-hmm. and be part of the church and be help, help and be part of the youth group. By that time, David was already full-blown leading the youth groups mm. and stuff like that. Um, before that, it was a Hank and Kara Dutchover. They were leading the youth group, but I think David took sh- over shortly after that. And um, and then I don't, went off to college, so I wanted mm-hmm. to come back, help David and um, and Steve and stuff because they were all doing the youth group stuff. And what was um, the first um, school that you taught at in El Paso? Um, actually, uh, Dowell Elementary over okay. here uh, northeast El Paso. Um, I was an early childhood teacher, Perfect. special ed. So that was my job. And I, I taught there until probably I met my husband, which I met him at the church. Right, and, right. Yeah. And that was going to be my next question because yeah. I knew it was after you came back from college. Yep. That my, Greg and I hooked up. We were probably friends for about two years. And then we um, then we hooked up as far as dating and stuff. And and that was like 93. Um we started dating and got married at the end of 93. Mm-hmm. And um, and then, I, you know, so at that time, he was still in college getting his degree because he's a little younger than me. And um, I was, so I just kept teaching. And then 
probably a year after that, I got pregnant with my daughter, mm -hmm. and that was probably my last year of teaching. So we decided okay. that, and that was the year he was graduating. We decided, you know, I was going to just be a stay-home mom. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we didn't know how we were going to do it. We figured that that's what I wanted to do because I okay. didn't feel right to send my kid off to daycare while I go teach other people's kids. So right. <laughs> I figured I'd just stay home and, and be with my own children. So, um, but yeah, he graduated, but then we had to leave El Paso, mm -hmm. um, uh, which was a little sad for us, but exciting at the same time. So yeah, I was going to ask you that, um, we, anyone listening to this, uh, you can go back to last week's episode and, and listen to Greg's, but what was that experience for you? Um, knowing now that, you, you know, you, you wanted to go see something besides El Paso. And right. if I remember correctly, he got a job offer in Dallas. Yes, it was in Dallas, okay. right? He actually had two. He had one in Raleigh, North Carolina. Interesting. Um, and so we had a choice mm -hmm. of Raleigh, North Carolina or Dallas. And we chose Dallas because it being kind of the halfway point between my family and his family. Because by that time, his family was up in Missouri, which oh. is about six hours. So we're thinking, well, if we're going to do the holiday split thing, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, it'd be like... Okay, we can go up there to see his family, and then I can we can come back to El Paso to see my family, as well as seeing our friends here, because yeah. we would definitely want to come back and see, you know, David and Marcia. And it was shortly after we moved to Dallas that David decided he was going to do his own church. Right. So he that him him and a group of some of our f close friends broke off and moved to the east side of El Paso and started a church there. So we weren't the initial part of that move because we were in Dallas. Mm -hmm. um, but we were there for maybe three, four years, attending a, a vineyard there. Okay. Um, uh, you know, we were kind of making some friends and some connections, but we really just never found that click. Mm -hmm. The click like we had with David and Marsha and some of our other friends that we had kind of grown up. Yeah, the ones mm -hmm. that we've grown up with since we were like 15, 16 years old. Because Greg, um, he was, was part of the youth as well. He came back from Germany because his father was military. Mm -hmm. And he probably came back when I think he was 16, 17, yep. his, senior, in mm -hmm. his senior year of high school. And he really hooked in with David and Marsha and uh, Riefenberg, uh, not Riefenberg's, um, David Kudar and mm -hmm. all those guys. And so we were all kind of part of that youth. So we just had that really strong connection. So it was really interesting because we had some friends there in Dallas and we were really, we had a beautiful house, um, a great house. And... Uh, he had an awesome job. I mean, can't beat that, you know. He was with I, Sprint? He was with Sprint, yeah. yeah. And then we were able to, you know, I mean, it, it was enough to be able to pay for our house. And mm -hmm. I was able to stay home with the kids. I wouldn't have to work. So everything, you know, was good as that aspect. You know, we were part of a church. And like I so said, we had a we had a little home group going on in our house and some good friends. But then each of them, it's, Dallas is a transitional city. Right. So they were there transitionally. So one of the couples, Tammy and Tommy Tina Harrow, which were good oh, friends of ours they here. They live here now, right? They live here back. They moved yeah. back to El Paso. So after we're all connecting, they got invited to come back to help David Riefenberg and Carlin Riefenberg with the Crossroad Church. Oh, and yeah. so they decided they, that's what they wanted to do. So they said, we're going back to El Paso. So they left us, and then there was another couple that they were actually from Utah, and she was only down here to get her nursing degree at Waco. Okay. And so she got her degree, and graduated, then and then they went back and left us. So they were like, all our friends are leaving. So we were like, what are we going to do? And and so we started even contemplating maybe finding another church. Mm. Um, 
within within the Dallas well, a little, area. Yeah, in Dallas area, because we were driving 45 minutes to go to church oh, in man. Arlington. So it was a pretty good distance. And the home groups around there would be like an hour's drive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're like, gosh, it's just a, it's a big just, It's a big, yeah, with young kids and mm-hmm. stuff, it was just real difficult to find. Um, so we thought, well, maybe we need to find. So we started going around to different churches. And then and we decided at that time, it was really interesting. We decided, well, let's just do like a Daniel fast. And let's um, let's go ahead and fast and pray and see. And and I think right before we did that, we had made a trip back to El Paso, hung out with David and Marcia, finding out how they were doing with mm-hmm. their East Side Church. Right. And um, you know, we had a great time hanging out with them. And so this was about maybe probably like in the spring, kind of close to Easter. We decided, you know, to do that fasting. Mm-hmm. So we started doing that, and um, and then right towards the end of it, out of the blue, David calls us. And says, okay, I was supposed to ask you back this at Christmas time, but I couldn't bring myself to do it. But I really feel that God wanted me to ask you guys to come and help us. You know, if you would come and be a part of our church, that we would really love to have you. He goes, but it's no obligations. You know, you know how David yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, no obligations. <laughs> Just well, uh, and I'm sure from a, his perspective, he sees you guys living Dallas, this American like, dream. There is no way they're going to come back here. <laughs> nice house, nice job. And church it, family, you know. Exactly. So, so, so we had this long conversation with them. He wanted us to watch Braveheart. We decided to watch it. We were like tearing our clothes and weeping because, you know, <laughs> we were like, and really heard that scripture about the uh, the rich man who went away sad, mm, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, what? how do I do? He says, give everything you have away and, and come, come follow me. me. Yep. And the rich man went away sad. And um, and Greg and I, we, we told David, we said, okay, well, let us, let us pray about it and mm-hmm. we'll let you know. Um, and we watched Braveheart. We've heard that, you know, thought about that scripture. And Greg says, you know, Deanna, I think we just need to throw our hat over the fence. Let's just do it. So if I end up having to work at the phone company doing old, you know, DOS, right. you know, programming. And I said, you know, in the worst case for me, I'll, I'll just go back and teach. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not the worst thing in the world. You know, we have two, by that time, Jonathan was a baby. Okay. Um, Mikhail was almost three. And we're like, yeah. So we called David back, said, yeah. We're going to do it. <laughs> we're going to do it. So yeah. we put our house up for sale, and uh, it was, I mean, that was just miracles in itself. I don't know if Greg touched on that at all, but mm-hmm. uh, but like I said, we sold our house like within two, a weekend pretty much. We actually had four offers. And you guys more did than it what yourself, we were asking. right? Yeah, we, just, just, put, put we just put a sign in the front yard. I put a $50 ad in the, <laughs> El, uh, the Dallas Times or the Dallas newspaper. Right. And we had like four offers, and three of them were more than what we were even asking for the house. Because um, we were even thinking, we've only been in this house like two years. We're like, there is just no way mm-hmm. we're going to be able to get what we put into this house. Um, but we had all these offers, and we're like, well, this is crazy. So we got to get to choose. Right. <laughs> Who's going to live in this house? Um, And then Greg was like, oh, my gosh, I guess I need to find a job. (laughs) (laughs) So he uh, sent his resume into TechFind, which ended up up being, we forgot it was Tim Vita's Mm. company. um, He's, you know, we didn't realize, didn't think about it. And what's the connection there? Um, Tim Vita was part of the Jesus Chapel Church. So, and he was, he would help out with the youth group a lot. He would lend us vehicles and um, his kids were kind of a little bit apart. Um, very heavy into the church. And it was real funny because he remembered us. So he called Greg and says, hey, I'm just a guy who helps old Jesus Chapel people find jobs. (laughs) And Greg was like, 
who's this? And he goes, this is Tim. Oh my gosh, Tim. And so we touched base with him. He goes, actually, believe it or not, there's this company that's just coming to El Paso. It's called Security Capital. Okay. And they're actually looking for someone to head their web development company, uh, the department, mm -hmm. their IT department. Uh, would you be interested in coming and interviewing with them? Greg's like, sure, why not? Mm -hmm. You know, interviewed, took the job. And then they offered us a job. So we said, well, I guess we better find a house. And they actually paid for us to come to go on a house hunting. Okay. So we went. The company found, did. Yeah, the company yeah. did. So they hired him. And then they actually moved us here. They sent moving <laughs> companies. They packed us up, packed everything for us and moved us to our new place. And yeah, and so we just we were just down the street from David and Marsha. And we started helping them with the East Side Church. And what, I'm interested to sort of hear your, your insight of like what. What was going on? So you you and Greg make this decision like, okay, we're going to go back to El Paso. And then you just like laid out. Everything fell into place, right? right? And just from your perspective, what, what was that watching it unfold? What was that like for you? Well, Greg and I were, we're pretty much a team. It's not mm -hmm. like I'm... Now, I know sometimes married couples, it's like, okay, the husband makes all the decisions and the wife just kind all of right. follows along. I feel like we're a team yeah. and that we do it together. And um, I was real excited about it too, mm -hmm. being a part. I mean, initially, before I met Greg, my my dream is uh, because being a uh, traveling all the time mm -hmm. and then um, actually the way, you know, I, I came to know the Lord initially in the Philippines at this missionary camp, I really felt like I wanted to do that too. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be a missionary. Mm -hmm. And so... Initially, when I started teaching, my plan was to teach my five years in El Paso or mm -hmm. to get my five years in the United States, and then I was going to apply for the DOD, okay. which would be, I would teach on military bases. Yeah, all over the world. All over the world. Yeah, yep, I can go yep. anywhere I want, and then if I'm not teaching, then I can actually travel, see things, mm -hmm. um, but also at the same time, maybe be a part of some ministry mm -hmm. of some kind, yeah. um, maybe to the military kids, because I really got touched by that in the Philippines. Um, that was my initial plan. Interesting. But of course, then, you know, I make Greg and we get married. Yeah, yeah. Life, gets life out happens. The yeah, life happens. <laughs> so that kind of got thrown out the window there. Um, so, I mean, my heart was always to, you know, I always wanted to be kind of part of ministry and, mm. you know, and I have a... Um, a heart, I guess, kind of for that. Um, I would definitely uh, hosp I would hospitality. Agree with that. Um, I mean, I love to host people and you know cook for people. I, it's my Italian in me. I got to cook for people, got to feed people. Um, so I, I do enjoy that. Um, and I just, yeah, I want to give back. Um, I mean, something I didn't mention earlier on, and I didn't even realize it until probably in a, earlier in our marriage when we. I started having, I wouldn't say we had problems in our marriage. Mm -hmm. It was just more just when you run across those things and then things just start coming up within yourself, mm, you know, right. and start, you, you start, more about yourself. you're learning about yourself. Yeah. And I would have these feelings that would come up and I didn't understand these feelings. And so Greg uh, recommended and someone recommended to go to counseling. So I started seeing a counselor in mm. Dallas. Okay. Um, so this is even before you come back. Yeah. Before yeah. I came back, um, because, you know, I, even though I was back with my family, we reconciled in a way, we were still mm -hmm. in conflict. Okay. So there was this constant conflict of between, especially my mother and I, mm -hmm. just this constant uh, battle back mm -hmm. and forth. Um, um, and uh, and one of the reasons, you know, and mom, if you were to hear this, <laughs> that we left was 
to get away, to have some space. I just needed some, I needed some space away right. from my family to to stand, be able to stand on my own, mm-hmm. and um, you know, and and prove to my mother that I don't need her. Mm-hmm. You know, that I can stand on my own. That you I'm an adult. Own, that I'm my own, own person. Yeah. yeah, and that um, I didn't. You know. Because her, her feelings was you you can't, you know, like being getting pregnant and stuff. She was like, oh, you can't do this without me. You know, mm. you know, you you don't know how to be a mother. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. just like that kind of, you know, just feeling like I'm not good enough. Yeah. So so I went to some counseling and it was in that counseling that um, I guess I had suppressed a, some memories that mm. I didn't even realize um, I had done. And, and one of those memories, which was probably, and I can see that as being the key to my downfall as far as my rebelliousness. Back, back in your teenage yeah, years. Yes, so okay. going back, uh, before we even went to the Philippines, we had come back to the United States for my father to go to the Sergeant Majors Academy, which mm. was here in El Paso. Okay. So we were here, and his parents were here. Mm-hmm. And they had a cabin up in the mountains, and it was in that mountains cabin. I'm not sure of the situation or why that happened. Mm-hmm. I've asked my mom that, but... I was put in a situation where I ended up my grandfather molested me. Oh wow. And I didn't really, you know, I it was such a traumatic experience it, uh, that I suppressed you it just so buried much. It. I buried it yeah. so deep that Which it I think is common. That didn't come out until well, I even remember the memory I remember even trying to tell my mother about it and she just told me I was just basically full of it, you know. Making things yeah, up. I was making things up. And so I just guess I suppressed it so mm. deep. Um, but I could see that it was at that point that things started. It basically, as the counselor expressed to me, started my sexual clock a lot earlier, mm. which kind of pushed me towards, you know, seeking, um, uh, uh, I guess, acknowledgement from men. Attention. Of, of opposite mm. sex, you know, wanting to get that attention. Um, you know, so it started very young. And it actually put me in a situation to the gentleman that, uh, the young man that I was involved with had actually... Um, raped me mm. and continually raped me um, it's when I was 15 and so um, on a continuous basis. But I didn't know any better. One, being raised in the Catholic Church, being told, well, when you have sex, then you're with that person yeah, for life. Married. So I were yeah. married, basically. So my my mind, I was like, okay, well, there's no way out. Mm-hmm. I'm stuck. Right. I mean, he took my virginity, so I'm stuck with this abuse forever yeah so just who who you're going to be the right you know and to to experience that at 15 yeah and and so you know so with my mom coming in and taking me and sending me away Mm -hmm. that was part of the detrimental too is like i'm nobody nobody is gonna have me i'm mm -hmm. just i'm trash now you know and especially coming back even after coming and having that experience with christ i still felt like um in, even in the Christian church, even though it wasn't spoken that way, right. I did feel like it was um, that I would never, I almost thought I would just never, ever get married, really, or wow. I would never meet anybody. Which because, is an unfortunate, toxic part, you know, mm-hmm. of well, the, that the, side of church. They never meant to, but in of these, course, in right, these, right. In these yeah. youth groups and these home groups, when people would share, a lot of the guys would sit there and say, oh, no, I'm not the girl I married, they're going to be a virgin, mm-hmm. you know, they're going to, you know, they're going to, they have to be pure and, right. you know, all that expectations of things. Of and I'm just like, well, that's it for me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trash. Nobody's going to, you know, nobody's going to want me. I'm secondhand goods, you know? So I kind of even had it set in my mind that I was just going to stay single, um, that nobody would ever 
you know, be satisfied. So, of course, when Greg comes in and, you know, comes into my life, it was just, you know, a miracle within yeah. itself and stuff. Uh, he's, a, he's an awesome, wonderful man. Well, so, and I think, too, that it speaks to um, the importance of um, getting professional help in a therapy situation. Yeah. I think in a lot of cultures or a lot of families, it's it's it. We've made a lot of progress as a society. Yes. Over the last, I would say, ten years, ten or fifteen mm-hmm. years, to destigmatize that. Yeah. But in some corners, yeah. yeah, it's oh, still and it's down good, upon. and and it really, it really is so much better. Because then I found out, I just you know found out things that, I mean, I was so angry. Mm-hmm. So once all these things started coming out, I was just so angry, and my counselor would tell me, you know, Deanna. It's okay to be angry. There's nothing wrong with being angry. Mm -hmm. It's what you do with that anger. Mm. So she would have me do these therapies where I'd have this cardboard box inside uh, the garage, and I'd go out there with my broomstick, and I'd write things on this box that made me angry. You know, maybe the way my father treated me or didn't, you know, or my Mm -hmm. mother or my sisters or what Greg would say to me or what the kids would do. And I would just beat the hell out of that box and just (laughs) yell at it. And and Greg would be inside with the kids saying, Bobby's having her time right now. (laughs) (laughs) Mommy's having her special time. Leave her alone. But I would go out there. And then she helped me. She was the one that actually helped me figure out, like, um, uh, so to bring peace between my mother and I. Because Mm -hmm. every time my mother and I would try to talk, we would just have this conflict. So she said, Deanna, the way to do it and the way to approach it. And so she really taught me a lot about how to approach in communication. Okay. So she would say, instead of telling your mom, you know, hey, this is what you did wrong, mm-hmm. is to say, mom, when you did, when you said this or when you did this, it made me feel like mm-hmm. this. And she can't deny that right. because those are your feelings. Yeah, you know, she, and, and, and so I've tried to do that with everybody, you know, mm-hmm. with most communication with people in general, because nobody can dis- discount your feelings because mm-hmm. your feelings are real. That's what I did find out in counseling, that my feelings are real, but what am I going to do about Mm -hmm. them, right? And then how do you express it? Well, you tell somebody, you know, well, if you say this to me, when you said that to me, it made me feel like this. So maybe I'd appreciate it if you wouldn't say those things (laughs) because it makes me feel really, you know, like trash or makes me feel, you know. And it's interesting. You know, I, I think I've known uh, you and Greg for about seven or eight years now. And one of the things that stands out to me is what a good communicator you are. Oh, you know, <laughs> when, right. when we're in the community settings or, you mm-hmm. know, when, when uh, things need to be said or, thing, you know, things yeah. need to be brought to people's attention. It's always been very interesting to me. And I think I noticed it in you because um, my ability to communicate mm-hmm. as well. And it's, so it's interesting that that was a learned yeah. It's, yeah, it's definitely thing a learned thing. Yeah, and it, it it was that learned thing too to even look and step out of myself and look into it, you know, mm-hmm. look into right. the situation. And at the same time, I was able to step out of myself and look into my mother's situation, oh. looking in the way that she was raised right. and realizing like my mother and my father, they did the best that they could. Mm-hmm. Of course. I mean, my mom's father, I hear stories now of how abusive he was. Mm-hmm. I mean, he basically did tell my mom, no, you're not going to college. You should just be married and pregnant. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the way you should be. Women don't go to school. Mm-hmm. You know, the, uh, the women are there to serve the men. You know, is that Italian? Yeah, yeah, You know, yeah. my uncle had going it. Back to and it goes back to my mom's father. So I, I know that my mother, the things that she did for me, 
she did it her best. Mm -hmm. And and so by looking at that, knowing that she wasn't out to get me, right? you know, she wasn't out to hurt me on purpose. It was more of just, she did her best. She thought she was loving me in her best mm -hmm. way that right. she could because she's a broken, hurt person too. Mm -hmm. And and I had to decide, okay, you know what? It's going to stop here. Yeah, The buck stops here. I'm, I'm not going to let it go. This dysfunctionality is not going to go any further. I'm not going to, I'm going to do my darndest not to mm -hmm. pass it on to my children. <laughs> and that's, and, that's a um, huge load yeah. to uh, carry in the sense that taking responsibility for that generational trauma trauma exactly and, and stopping just it stopping with you. it exactly and say i'm not going to do my best to stop it from here and um go forward and then it actually helped with communication with my mother and stuff like that so we've been able to reconcile so it's kind of weird where i was the black sheep of the family and now I'm not. I'm That's like, um, I'm not saying my sisters are now, but <laughs> no, right, right, and they're right. not. But, 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 but I'm just not. I have a relationship now with mm -hmm. my family now, and they rely on me to help them now that they're much older and my father is pretty much 100% disabled. Mm. Um, they rely on me a lot to come and, and help them, right. which, you know, I don't know if that ever would have been without that good communication. So, yeah, so coming back to El Paso, we threw our hat over the fence. We sold our home, you know, going back there. And and then Greg was able to get that job. We moved back. We started helping David and Marshall with the Eastside Church. Mm -hmm. I started doing... Um, helping out with the uh, the children's. There was no one really leading the children's service. Okay. And all the kids and everything would just all stay in. So I said, well, you know, I'm a teacher. <laughs> you know, I, I, I was a teacher. I know how to do that. So I, I can do that. So I would bring stuff from the home and, and play with the kids and show them videos and hang out with the kids so that the parents could have a little bit of a break mm -hmm. to have a time of worship or whatever. So, um, And, and yeah. I think it was Marsha's episode she talked about what a huge thing that was for her and David that you uh that you sort of filled that filled that role yeah, that, that was sort of vacant yeah. prior to that. Yeah. So yeah, so that's pretty much that's kind of what I started doing. I just started yeah. doing the kids ministry and taking care of all the kids, any kids that would come and um uh, yeah, so I guess we did that, and we and I guess they probably mentioned to it that we were pretty much a church in a box. Yeah. So yep, yep. we had actually bought when we came back. We only had one vehicle. We decided we probably needed two because Greg's job was all the way on the far side of west side of El Paso. Oh, wow. The so he'd have to drive over Trans Mountain every day. So he had to take the car, yeah. which left me without anything. So we ended up buying a used minivan that had an extended back, so we can get the church stuff. Into the minivan. Right, right, right. We purposely bought that so we can go because we'd had to go to Take the storage unit. We had to go to okay. the storage unit to get all the church sound equipment and the children's Yeah, nobody's stuff. told this story. That's so crazy. Yeah, so we would have to go there every Sunday morning and then mm -hmm. go to the school, set everything up, and then tear everything down, put it back in the van. And, and it was uh, Johnny Delk. He actually was really nice, and he actually built the little trailer that we have right now, that we still have it. Oh, that little white trailer. By yes, the uh -huh, by the okay, okay. Yeah, so that was originally built for, by, the for the church so we could get the sound equipment because it had perfect things. He built a little box to yeah. wheel our sound okay. equipment on. So then we had that plus our van that we would load things up and 
set up things for church, tear things down, put yeah. everything back for the school because everything had to be in its proper place for school on Monday. Of course. And then um, put everything back in storage. And we did that, oh, gosh, I mean, five years. And did you guys yeah. meet in the gymnasium at the church? Um, No, we did not. I want to say it was like the choir room. Okay. Yeah. Oh, you know, you know, we were in the choir room and then we did move to like a it was like more of an auditorium. It might have been the oh, theater room. Okay, okay. And then for the children's ministry, they allowed us to use certain classrooms. So they okay. would tell us, okay, you can use... The, I think David made... Because David taught at the school. Right, right. He would talk to the teachers ahead of time, and the teacher said, hey, you know, you can use this. As long as you put everything back, right. you're welcome to use my classroom. Cool. So there was a couple of classrooms we were allowed to use mm -hmm. that I would just move the desks out of the way, set up a place for the kids, um, plug in a television or whatever, and, um, and then I'd put everything back so that they didn't even know we were there. <laughs> yeah. And, and so that, that's one thing. I don't know if we've really gone into it, but so you're doing church out of a high school for five years. Yeah. And then everything unfolds with desert rain. Mm -hmm. um, and we've, you know, Greg last week touched about, uh, you know, the severance package that he got and it yeah. lined up perfectly. Yeah. But I'm interested from your perspective, though, that transition period where you're kind of, you guys was, are talking about doing a new well, church thing was, and then landing here. I think it was kind of like toward in that five year period, David, I think he started getting in touch again with his Catholic. Mm -hmm. um, he started bringing back the, ins uh, the incense in the okay. church and the, he started bringing back the communion. Mm -hmm. Um, he started, I think, even started slowly following the liturgical mm -hmm. calendar as far as what he would preach on okay. and what he okay. would share. Um, you might have to confirm that with him, but I kind of feel like that's kind of doing And I think around that same time, uh, we were in the midst of that. We were going to visit, um, uh, is it Mike Bickle? Mike Bickle up in Kansas City. They had started a 24-hour house of prayer. Oh, okay. And we had yeah, taken tell the we had taken a couple of trips up there okay. to go visit that house of prayer. And we decided that's what we we want to do something like that too. You know, what you, did the actual what did it what was it like, it, the actual house of prayer? You know, it was just a building and, okay. and there and were just people there and they were praying. just praying. But I don't think it was like the same person. Mm -hmm. It right, was just right, a right. con it was like open 24 like hours shifts. and people would shift in and come okay. in and, and they would be praying. And then, they, you know, another group would come in and they would pray. Um, but we really liked Mike Bickle and his, his heart. He I guess really, I mean, he just really talked about how prayer, you just, uh, yeah. that 24, and he introduced us and shared with us. I think maybe that's what brought David to find all these, um, these churches over in Europe that have been like praying for 24 mm. hours, you know, for hundreds of years, you know, okay. these monastery right, kind of places. Right. And and then I think we got the book on how the Irish saved civilization. Mm -hmm. Yep. He mentioned that. And we started that. reading, we started reading that and realizing, um, and then just remembering back on some of the classes Greg and I took with mm -hmm. uh, Judy and Hans Weerstra. They uh, taught a class about kind of like the proper way to be a missionary where you go mm -hmm. in and you don't change them. You mm -hmm. don't go in and say, okay, you got to westernize your clothing. <laughs> right, right, you got to right. start eating our food. <laughs> Listen to this music. Exactly. It's yeah. got to be like the peace child where you go in and you live among them. Mm. And it's, it's your, ex, you know, just like St. Patrick did, you go and mm. live next to the people. And then all of a sudden they're like, Hey, uh, what are you doing there? And you know, what, you know, it, yeah. and then slowly over time, you, you, kind of your beliefs and your, the way you practice, kind of rubs off on them. And mm -hmm. then you're able to see something 
in their society, like the three-leaf clover, and be mm. able to describe the Trinity to them. And so we started thinking, well, that's maybe what we need to be doing. Instead of having these one Sunday church services mm-hmm. where we're just barely reaching people, and then we tear down and we go home and we start all over again on Sunday again, um, uh, I mean, we just felt there, there just felt like there was something more. Right. There was something more living among the people. And that's when we started thinking about living in community, mm-hmm. like maybe, maybe even more on a practical level. A lot of us had young kids. Mm-hmm. Um, David and Marsha just had, you know, Anna, and then we had young kids, and, and the other families had young children. And we're like, a lot of times the husbands would go, we saw that in the church, the husbands would go and do the prayer meetings and do mm-hmm. the leadership, and the wives stayed home with the kids. So we're trying to find a way, well, what could we do where we can bring the kids along? Everyone was Or everyone can do it together. So we're trying to say, well, if we live in close proximity, it'd be so much easier Mm -hmm. um, to be able to do that. So it was more kind of a practical thing. And we were starting to do these prayer meetings where we prayed, I think, every night. We got together and we would pray at different people's houses. Uh Uh-huh. And have these prayer services, and we would take turns on the where the children would go. We'd put leave the children mm. at maybe the Morrison's house, and we go pray, or um, we would rotate things. Um, so we just—it's like all a big jumble of yeah. a lot of things happening all at one time. You know, experiencing this, and I think it was probably in that time we decided, well, maybe we just need to find. So we started like thinking, well, maybe we need to find a neighborhood like a cul-de-sac, right? Where yeah, we can yeah. all buy a house. And then we live in that cul-de-sac, and we're like, okay, that wasn't going to work. So we're like, how are we going to find like four or five houses that yeah, we could all, all buy and all sell for sale at the same time, you know, and that we could all afford, you know, because um, we weren't thinking about like a one purse thing or anything like that. Everyone would keep their own finances. Mm-hmm. So we thought, well, let's buy some land. Have we bought mm-hmm. some land? And we built houses. So that's where we kind of first started looking. And we looked down the east side of El Paso, and there was a lot of opportunities for finding cheap land. But then we found out that we wouldn't be allowed to get water or electricity. Right. And that if we wanted to build and if we wanted to build more than one house, we'd have to put a water treatment plant and gutters and paved roads. And we're like, okay, yeah. What are we made of money here? Uh, I don't think so. That would be like a development company. Right. That's a whole so we're like, okay, this is not working. And and we were in connection with Ernie here and, and Chaparral. And, um, and, and at that time, I think we decided, well, you know what? Maybe we're just going to go back to the home church mm. concept and drop the lease because we're like, I, I can't remember. David probably remembers how much we were paying a, a, a month right. for, I think it was like, two, I want to say it was like almost 1000 to 2000 a week oh, wow. for okay. the for the use of the high school. Right. So we're thinking, well, why don't we just save that money and we mm-hmm. can use it for something else? And and we decided we'll do a home church. So we actually mm-hmm. were using our house where we were meeting in the backyard. A lot of people, we did probably want to say half the church decided that's not what they wanted. Right. And yeah, they kind of left and was kind of a it was kind of sad. But we started doing that and then we started looking for land and and then we decided, well, New Mexico has a little bit more leniency. Mm-hmm. And so I actually had dro- driven out here and found a piece of land, which is just across the street here. On the other side uh, of the, the highway? On the other side of okay. the highway. And um, and there were individual plots who so were like, well, oh, wow. hey, we could build individual houses, yeah. but we're all together. And uh, they we, they don't have all those silly rules mm-hmm. of having to put in this or that. You know, um, There's electricity already on the land, mm-hmm. so we would just need to put a well Get it to the house. And, and all, yeah, figure all that stuff out. Yeah. So, and that's, I guess that's what 
and we started that process to try to purchase that land. And that was around the same time as my husband expressed when he got that big severance package. Mm-hmm. Company got bought out, and then that became a decision for us. What do we want to do? Because he was offered a job up in Connecticut, and um, which sounds terrible. Yeah, and so we were thinking. <laughs> I've been to Connecticut a couple. Well, times. Well, you know, honestly, for us, because we like to travel, it oh, didn't sound it didn't sound okay, horrible okay. to us. But the yeah. question is, okay, do we go to Connecticut mm. or? Do we stay here and stick it out with David and Marsha? Because, you know, right. by that time, people started leaving the church and, uh-huh. like, you know, and we really prayed about it. And we said, no, they're our friends. We want to stay with yeah. them. We want to stay. We want to support them. Um, a lot of people, um, I know s- several people kind of even maybe blamed us because um, they were like, if David, if Greg and Deanna didn't have the money or the finances to do what we did, mm-hmm. um, then David and Marsha never would have pursued this. You know, so I, wow. I know some people had said that. And, that's and, unfo- that's and, unfortunate. And, and it hurt. And it, it sure. did hurt, um, especially when our kids were friends. And then all of a sudden, you know, the kids aren't friends anymore, you know. And at that time when this was all happening, I was pregnant with uh, Joshua was just born, and I was pregnant with Daniel. Mm. So it was a very emotional, lonely time because we kind of pretty much lost yeah. our friends, you know, yeah. our support groups, so to speak, you know, the ones who would give me a, a baby shower or something, you know, or they all disappeared. Know, they all just overnight. disappeared. Yeah. Overnight. Yeah. It was like one minute they're there and the next minute they're gone. And you're like, wow. But we really felt like, no, we wanted, it was actually out at uh, Bill and Kirsten's house here in Chaparral. We were okay. walking out in the desert. I think it was, we were burning Christmas trees or something it was around Christmas time. And we had to make a decision. Yeah. What are we going to do? Because he had to give them an, um, an answer. Right. Do we go to Connecticut or do we stay here? And we said, no, we'll stay here. And wow. that's when I, years before that in Dallas, Greg even mentioned that maybe it would be fun someday to maybe start my own company. Mm. And, you know, and he kind of pondered on it. And then yeah. he was just like, ah, that's, a <laughs> that's a joke. So I brought it up. I said, Greg, why don't you? you know, try to, maybe we could start your own company, you know, maybe we could do something. And it was funny because right after he gave his, told them that he didn't want to, that he wants to stay here in El Paso, he didn't Mm -hmm. want to move to Connecticut. They're the ones that said, well, have you ever thought about starting your own company? (laughs) And then we can actually hire you to keep supporting. And that was our first contract. And so they actually even encouraged him and uh, Donnie. And at the time, Phil was there. Is that Phil Apple? Phil Apple, yeah. yeah. okay, okay. Why don't you three start your own company, mm-hmm. and then you guys can keep supporting the 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 stuff that mm-hmm. they wrote because they had written Security Capital was a they had written that um, program, programming, and so we'll we'll go ahead and just you guys can continue to support it, and we'll just pay pay you guys, and, and so and just to back up half a second, so what happened with the other plots? Okay, yeah, that was really bizarre. We actually were going to buy that. We were excited. We already had plans, which property we were going to have and the day of closing comes and the realtor calls us and says we can't sell it to you and we said well why they said because there's there were like 10 or 12 people on this title (laughs) of this land and half of them were dead Oh wow! And so they all so, went in to buy the property together at some point. I that or someone bought the property, and when they died, they divvied oh, it out to multiple people. Okay, okay. Because it was bought like back in the '60s or the '70s. Okay. And um, I think one of the guy, the person who was paying the taxes on it, lived up in New York somewhere. Interesting. So they send it. They send their tax money every year just to, to pay, keep it. Yeah. Keep it. 
And they were the ones, I guess, trying to sell it, but we found that it was unsellable. So the only way to do it is they said, well, you could sell it to you, but what would happen, though, is the money would go into this, um, like, a funding thing, and then if those people ever come or the people who inherited it from the person who died would come, then that money, would they would get that I money. See. But they said that would take months to get that all set up. Oh, it wasn't something you could just do. It's not something we could do closing. like right away. They oh, said it okay. would take maybe months to a year to get that all right. situated. And legal. we're just like, well, we don't have months to a year. <laughs> right. We already put our houses up for sale. <laughs> we're moving now. We're closing today. We're just like, we're, we got to find something. And so okay. we, we came out here to, to grieve. Mm -hmm. We drove out here. And that's when I saw a for sale sign on the top equipment. So right. Greg and I drove down. Found the place where David Marshall lived now. It was a mobile yeah. home. We drove up. We said, this could work. This is it. This could work. So we thought we talked to the realtor and called and wanted to look at the mobile home. And we we're like, well, it's definitely big enough. And then we yeah. can actually build on and and all that time. And at the time, Sal and Rosa was uh, with us. And they had just they had built a straw bale home. So we thought, okay. well, maybe we could do that too. Yeah. And, and we can just, you know, we can expand and build. So we, and it, the price was right. And so, it, is it 10 acres or 20 acres? Uh, when we bought it, we actually bought 30 acres. Oh, wow. So I didn't realize the that. the land that Jake and Rea live on, that's right. 10 acres. Okay. And then there's, which they're at when we bought it, there was nothing on right, it. Right, right. And then the 10 acres that the mobile home and the mm -hmm. chapel are on, and then the back 10 acres. Which is um, actually closer to the other road. Yeah, is that San Carlos? Yeah, San Carlos. Uh, no, that is that San yeah San I Carlos our, right San yeah Carlos, San Carlos yeah. right yeah because the hot peppers is behind us so exactly. yeah so but yeah so it makes it kind of like an L and okay. so there was two ten acres and so we gave the back ten acres to the church and when and when we bought the property because mm. Greg and I are the ones I guess bought the property right um, and we just bought it outright. Because, because that was of, part of the severance yeah. package that we got and then we bought the other ten acres and we gave that to his parents. And my father-in-law is the one who built the shop on the mm. property in, ten, in planning on moving down here within like 10 years. Um, but then when that kind of fell through, then we ended up buying it back from him, the, mm. the, he, the they, shop. Because they do like winter winter. Yeah, they do thing, winter right? stuff now. Yeah. yeah. So and they come down. But um, yeah, so no, it was just the, it was 30 acres plus the mobile home is what we actually bought. So nothing else was added. Yeah, we're coming up on time, but but um, two things I would like to touch on: if a young family with a couple of kids were thinking about doing a community living situation, what what's uh, what's a bit of advice you would give you would give that that young family? Like. Living in community with us or living just in, in general, <laughs> yeah. They were going to start their own, their they're going to start their own community, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I think for one, I don't think anyone would do it on their own, mm -hmm. that's for sure. I mean, if it wasn't the fact that we were doing it kind of together, right? I mean, uh, we did it with David and Marcia, and at the time, Bill and Kirsten mm -hmm. were apart. Um, and we had Sal and Rosa and Ernie and Linda helping right. us and everything, so it's definitely. A community aspect. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know if any individual one person would go out and say, "Hey, I'm going to start a community." Yeah. I think for sure it's a group of people who want to be in. You need a good core group. A core group and communication. I think communication is a big key. I mean, that's okay. something we learned the first probably year and a half of because you know mm -hmm. the Morrisons and us we lived in the same house same, together, under the same roof. And I didn't realize uh, someone brought this up that Bill. 
and uh, Kirsten stayed in the living room for a while, like Did during they? during a summer, I during the first that. summer or something like that. I don't remember that. Yeah. I yeah, I don't remember that at all because they were already living in Chaparral, so maybe it was in the in the pro. They might have lived here because I know in within that time of us starting the community, they ended up moving back up north to mm -hmm. Buffalo. Okay, so maybe that was a time after they selling their transition. house here and the transition. Okay, I. I guess maybe being pregnant and stuff that <laughs> I blanked that out or something. I don't well, remember there's that. There's so many stories. But um, but definitely living, it was communication. We had to learn to communicate with one another, which I took a lot of that counseling stuff in, yeah. in play. Like, um, you know, I would be able to say something instead of just saying, uh, Marsha, yeah, I did this, you know, right. this, or, you know, a, feeling like I'm attacking, it'd be more like, you know, hey, Marshall, when you said this or when you did this, it made me feel like this. I, I'm kind of feeling that that was not your intention. Right. Right. And when, of course, they would always say, oh, yeah, no, I didn't mean that. And I'm like, mm -hmm. that's what I, I just thought I'd let you know that it kind of hurt my feelings and, you know, just yeah. wanted to let you know. And, and then I would say, you know, please do that for me too, you know, something I say or something I did. So we ended up learning a lot about learning how to communicate mm -hmm. with one another without, you know, hating the, one the another. Attacking, yeah. right, the attacking, right. And the attacking, the fighting, it's, uh, you know. yeah, and the fighting, the bickering, because it's, you know, we lived together, it was kind of like being married, you know, mm -hmm. all living in the same house. So um, last point, and it's not really connected to Desert Rain, but earlier in the conversation, you mentioned about feeling a connection with the ocean and the beach. Yeah. And I, I know uh, for me, I also have that connection with the ocean and the beach. And is, is, um, is do you, does it come to you as a, like, a spiritual type connection? Could you just elaborate on that connection a little bit? Maybe it's just, maybe because growing up by the ocean, mm -hmm. you know, always, I mean, when we lived in the Philippines, every Sunday we were at the beach uh -huh. swimming um, with all the other military families yeah. and kids. We would barbecue. We'd go there early in the morning and we'd be there till after dark. Amazing. And we would just stay there all day. The The guys would go out scuba diving or snorkeling, come back with lobsters and oysters yeah. and whatever and, and grill it up on the grill. And the women would bring salads. And we would just hang just out hang at out. the beach. And just it was just a place of – so it's just maybe a lot of memories. Yeah. And I just uh, – you know, being near the ocean most of my life, it just – you know – when we went and made a trip to San Diego one time, and went to the naval base there mm. and, and actually got to see the Midway, okay. which my father served on during Vietnam. Um, and I actually went on it when I was younger because that's wow. where what, that's what he was on when we were right. in Japan. Yeah, he, yeah, was on, yeah. he was stationed on the Midway. Um, that uh, I just... I just, just, the sound of the planes flying over and the smell of the, you know, hearing the horns mm -hmm. and the, the call bells and oh, what, all that stuff that just... Just the whole environment. Uh, yeah, it just kind of makes you feel like a kid again. Yeah. It makes me feel like a kid again. So now when I go back to the ocean, it is more of, maybe it is a peaceful thing. Yeah. Maybe I do feel, you know, I know like David, he says he, he likes to just walk out in the desert for yeah. for miles and stuff like that and get the peace of the desert. I like that. That's nice, yeah. you know, and it, it's, but for me, I guess, yeah, I do. I could sit there and probably walk on a beach mm -hmm. or... Yeah, me too. And just forever and ever and just feel hearing the waves, you know, crashing and the and the smell mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Just yeah, there's kind just of, a real calming effect. Exactly. For yeah, me, when calming. I, as I'm walking onto the beach, I, it's mm -hmm. almost like walking through a threshold mm -hmm. of just everything's going to be okay. Maybe it is something like a childhood thing. Maybe yeah. it is something that puts us back in that childlike state or something. Yeah, um, I don't know what it is. 
Yeah, and of course, here we are in the middle of the desert. Yeah, no, no <laughs> well, that's why, it's, that's why it stuck out to me, because I feel very connected to the desert, and, and here we are living in the middle of Middle no of the water. desert, yeah. So, well, thank you, Deanna. All right. We've we're over an hour. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, no. That's <laughs> we're here to to conversate. So, um, uh, for all you listening, thank you for for tuning in. Uh, if this is your first time uh, catching one of our podcasts, you can go to drcrpod.com, and there's a whole backlog of uh, we might be up to thirty by the time we release this one. I think. Um, thank you, Deanna. Well, thank you, Dorian, for your time and. Uh, Anyone interested in learning more about Desert Rain uh, community can check out theruined.com. You can uh, also see David's writings there. Um, the Ruined uh, on Facebook is also available. And uh, we appreciate if you if you spread, um, tell your friends about us, whether it's uh, word of mouth or social media or all that fun stuff, we, we greatly appreciate it. So uh, have a wonderful day. <laughs>